Let's pray together. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise be to your holy, holy name. Lord, you are so worthy. You're so worthy of adoration and exaltation. And Lord, we should be exulting in you, for you are the supreme joy, all-satisfying God of the universe. Yet, Father, so often we don't. Lord, have mercy upon us. Enlarge our hearts for you. May the love that the Father has for the Son be also in us. Lord, may you be glorified in these few moments. May we be minimized. Holy Spirit, I pray for your filling. I pray that, Lord, you would speak for me, God, that you would take your truth and, Lord, you would plant it in our hearts and that, God, it would take root. Lord, help us to see your truth. Help us to receive that truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. We'll take your Bible this morning and turn again to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter number 5. And I want to read to you this section that has become known as the Beatitudes, that introductory uh, statement preaching of Jesus, introduction to, I suppose, what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, But let's read beginning in verse number 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's holy word. I told you that, Lord willing, we would be nestling in the Beatitudes over the next several weeks. And then, Lord willing, on Sunday mornings, we'll progress perhaps more into the Sermon on the Mount. But over this section that is concerning the Beatitudes, I have told you that I would drop as a title over this section the character of the kingdom. Because each of these Beatitudes, particularly from verse number 3 all the way down through verse 10, they encapsulate the character of those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. If you're going to say you're part of the kingdom of heaven, there must be some glimmering resemblance of these within your life. They are works of grace. And they are there if we are members of the kingdom. Now last week, um, we looked at these verses... uh, really as an entire unit, and I wanted to look at it in in general terms and looked at it simply asking the questions, why study the Beatitudes? Why why look at these? And so I, I answered that by telling you that these give us the character of the kingdom. That's what I'm, I'm telling you, that that... These are, they are set off by that, that Hebrew um, literary device known as in, in, inclusion. They start out, Jesus starts out saying something and ends it with theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes down in verse 10, he says, says several beatitudes. And then he ends those beatitudes by saying, blessed is something for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thus in saying everything about what he says in between that first statement and that latter statement is true of those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. And I wanted you to see that the Beatitudes are something that can help clear up the blurred distinction between those that are truly Christian and those that are not Christian at all. Um, Well, this morning, we're going to begin our actual journey on looking at the individual Beatitudes. And this morning, we're going to start in verse 3 with that Beatitude in which Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Emphasis is for theirs and theirs only is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I would suggest to you that there is no accident in the way in which Jesus has ordered these. Not that there is step one, two, three. I don't mean it like that. But that, that, that Jesus has spoken these things in a specific way. And there's no accident that he begins talking about those 
who the kingdom of heaven belongs, that he starts out talking about the poor in spirit. Because this, I believe, is where salvation begins. This is where it begins. It begins in this state of being poor in spirit. A person cannot, cannot experience the grace of salvation apart from experiencing this beatitude in their heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I like how you could think of it like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the opposite of that would also be true. Bless, cursed are the rich in spirit, for theirs is not the kingdom of heaven. And I'm afraid that sometimes we've got a lot of people that come into churches that exemplify being rich in spirit rather than poor in spirit. And that is a serious situation. Because you cannot, you cannot truly, authentically call yourself Christian apart from being poor in spirit. So, this is what I want to do this morning. I want, I want to look at that. I want us to, I want us to interrogate that statement. I want us to, to think about what, what does that mean? What, what does it mean being poor in spirit? What, 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 what's he saying? And then in, in answering what that is, I want us to think of a couple of implications about that. And what that means particularly in the context of salvation. So what, what does this mean? I, I suppose this is a very big question. I would suggest to you an eternally significant question. What, what does it mean? And in answering what this means, let me first answer, before I get to specifically what it means, let me tell you what it does not mean. Okay. You say, why would you do that? Because there are a lot of different ideas out there about it. And so I just want to clear up the muddy water, letting you know what it does not mean. Poor in spirit. Because whoever, whatever it is, being poor in spirit, they're blessed, they're, they're happy. Yes, that word's even deeper than happy. It means to be approved. Happy and approved are these that are poor in spirit. And these, they're happy and they're approved. And because they're happy and they're approved, there they are. Because theirs and only theirs, emphasis in the original, is the kingdom of heaven. So we need to know what this is. So let me tell you what it's not. Jesus is not saying that it is a blessing to be poor. Okay, listen to me. Materially poor. 
Okay? Jesus is not saying blessed are those who live in material poverty. Some interpret it that way. Primarily of Catholic and Anglican origin. They will teach you that this is referring to material poverty. Um, that blessed are the materially poor. That, but guys, material poverty, I'm talking about extreme, I'm not talking about just have, bit lacking a few dollars. I'm talking about absolute poverty, having nothing. I want you to understand, that's not a blessing, that's a curse. That's a part of the fall. Okay, and, and I want you to understand that now, don't, don't misunderstand me because God can use material poverty in someone's life to bless them spiritually. Okay, so I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Take, for example, the church in Smyrna in the book of Revelation. One of the future, one of the two churches out of seven churches that wasn't told to repent. Listen, they had great poverty. Okay, God used it there. But... This is not talking about that. And, and as a wise old man once told me in, in the first church I pastored, his name was Newman Jacobs. He said, you know, and we were talking about this, you know, having absolutely nothing versus being blessed with an abundance of things. And he said, and I quote him, I have been on both sides and it's a lot easier to thank God for what you have than to beg him for what you don't. In, in, in quote of Newman Jacobs. But uh, this is not talking about material poverty. Is what I want you to understand. He's not saying, you know, you've you got to be dirt poor in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's not what he's saying. Okay? Now, it probably is helpful, and I'll tell you that, because people that are rich sometimes don't see their need for God. They think, oh, we got everything. We've got to be okay. We're blessed. And that's, that's dangerous, okay? All right? That's dangerous. Very dangerous. And that whole false teaching of the prosperity gospel that out there is very damning, too. And so I, I, I'm not going to go down that road this morning. Um, so it does not mean it's a blessing to be poor. Um, it does not mean a, an absence of, of personal value, um, those that are in the kingdom have a lot of value. Okay, don't insult God's redemptive handiwork. Okay, yet when you're born in this world, you're born with a marred and distorted image of God that's tainted with sin. Okay, it, it is. But when, when you have been, been born again and you've been brought into the kingdom, you're in a process of being restored into the perfect image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's got a lot of worth. So he's not saying that there's an absence of personal value when he talks about being poor in spirit. Okay? By God's grace, there's great value in what Christ has done. Amen? Amen? Okay? And you should know that. So it's not talking about that. It, it does not mean... You, you, he's telling you, well, you've got to be shy and gutless and, 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 and passionless and, and lacking spiritual vitality. He's not saying that either. Yet at the same time, he's not saying it's, it's not showy. It doesn't, doesn't advertise itself. You know, that's what a rich in spirit person would do. 
Perhaps you, Martin Lloyd-Jones told a story on one occasion about going to preach in a certain location and he was, he was met at, at the train station by a deacon from that church and he got off the train and, and he was carrying his luggage and this deacon ran up to him about knocked him down trying to grab his, his luggage and, and that deacon kept on going, oh, I'm just a nobody, uh, Dr. Jones, I'm a nobody, I'm just a great luggage getter, but I'm a nobody, I'm a deacon, but I'm a nobody, I'm a... and it seemed as if he was taking great pride in his supposed humility. He was rich in himself. Now, I'm not saying that the deacon was lost. I'm just saying that was not exemplifying being poor in spirit. I knew a gent, perhaps you've known people like that. I, 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 when I was serving as, as a student pastor at Crestline Baptist Church, I knew a guy, and I'm not saying this guy wasn't saved. I'm just saying in this area in his life, this one particular area in his life, he was not demonstrating being poor in spirit. But he was a greeter, and he would pass out bulletins. People come in, and he had gone through, he had a lot of, I remember him having a lot of surgeries and stuff on his hand. He had a lot of issues going on. He had suffered. He, he dealt with some physical suffering in his life. But if somebody had missed a Sunday and he gave them that bulletin, he would all of a sudden heap all this false guilt on them, talking about how he hadn't missed, had missed a Sunday in 15 years and he's endured a whole lot of hard suffering. Well, you want, I want to say bless your heart. Um, but that's not exemplifying being poor in spirit. So what does it mean? What, what, what does it mean? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, the word poor that the writer employs here, Matthew uses, the word poor in, in the Greek, it's not, it's not a general word. It's not just any word. He uses a specific word here. Potokos. It's, it's a word that um, it ta- it's talking about not just being poor, not being a few dollars short. It's a word that is talking about um, beggarly poor, being abject poverty. It's, it's, it's talking about someone that is so poor they have absolutely nothing to offer and are absolutely dependent on another to help meet their needs. They ain't got nothing. Nothing. Okay. They are poor as poor can be. Well, that is a quality that one must come to see within themselves before they could ever enter the kingdom of heaven. Beggarly poor, not... Poor in money, but poor or poverty in spirit. This potokas, this this abject poverty is one that one sees within themselves. They have nothing to offer within themselves. They have nothing to bring to the table within themselves. One translation translates this verse in this way. Blessed are those who realize they have nothing within themselves to commend themselves to God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. John Wesley accurately describes the poor in spirit as as a person who, and I quote, 
who has a deep sense of the loathsome leprosy of sin which he brought out from his mother's womb, which overspreads his whole soul and totally corrupts every power and faculty, end quote. Pretty accurate description for an old Armenian. I'm not getting in a theological conversation. Brother Kimbrew may be the only one that finds the humor in this. But the old Armenians are a whole lot different than the crazy Armenians we got today. (laughs) Anyway. All right. So um, what this being poor, and I wasn't talking about this Kimbrew. Matter of fact, that Kimbrew was saved out of some crazy Armenian theology. But anyway, praise the Lord. (laughs) Anyway, what this being poor in spirit, what it encapsulates is another way to think of it, humility in spirit. There is a humbleness in spirit. Um, And... When you come to see your need of a God who is holy, 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 and you're not, 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 that's why you need Him, need Him, need Him. Your experience should be one of that, like the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6. You remember that? When he saw the Lord high and lifted up, when he, you know the vision of the Almighty that he had. What was, what was Isaiah's response? Woe is me, for I am undone. For he was a man among a people with sinful lips. He was terrified. He had nothing to offer the living God. So that's what this means. But now let's think of a couple of implications of this. This need of a humility of spirit. And and the first thing, I'm going to give you two two implications. The first is this. And I'm I'm really giving you this one in, in light of stuff I told you last week. Being poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit contradicts the mindset of the world. Being poor in spirit contradicts the mindset of the world. Now, last week, I told you that the Beatitudes would clear up the blurred distinction between the real Christian and the fake. I told you that one of the things that has blurred that distinction in the visible church is the presence of shallow religion that results in shallow evangelism that has has subsequently resulted in an intrusion of worldliness in the church so that it's hard to really distinguish. Things get blurred. They get hazy. But I said that the Beatitudes would clear that up would clear that up and, 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 and sort of makes it, brings into focus the character of the kingdom. 
those that belong to the kingdom. And so here, this first beatitude, being poor in spirit, this is the very antithesis. This is the very opposite of the worldly mindset, worldly philosophy. Worldliness, at the heart of worldliness, is the promotion of self. Think about all the things you hear out there in the world. you got self-help, and you hear people talk about self-reliance and self-confidence and believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself, buddy. And many people say that and don't even think about it. Why do you want to believe in yourself? Find your confidence in Christ. Believe in Christ. Find your identity in Him. Because listen, we're messed up. We're messed up. We're messed up. Your pastor is a messed up man. But in Christ, and only in Christ, can I find wholeness and rightness and healing. And that's the way it is for all. Well, the point that I want you to understand is the poor in spirit are always acknowledging their lack of resources in self while the world, all it's trying to do is build up self. And so it's it's different. Poor in spirit is so important. It is, it, is, it, is a, it is the beginning quality of what those that belong to the kingdom of God, what they look like. What they look like. Wow. So, um, the second implication of this that I would give you is being poor in spirit. And this is like a no-brainer implication. Being poor in spirit is the beginning of true salvation. Being poor in spirit is the beginning of true salvation. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Well, who are those who belong to the kingdom of heaven? Let Let me take you to a... Another passage. You look it up when you get home. I'm not going to wait on you to go there. But it's in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 13 of Colossians 1 says this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. We were in darkness. He has brought us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Well, who is the us whom He has delivered? In the context of Colossians 1, if you look at that passage and you digress back up to verse 1, you see that he describes the us as the saints. Well, wait a minute. Who are the saints there? Well, if you progress down to verse 4 of Colossians 1, it says of the saints that they have faith in Jesus Christ. Now... My point is to clarify that those in whom the kingdom belongs are those who realize they have nothing within themselves, so they are driven to a dependency on Jesus Christ. That's 
What poor in spirit people do. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that it's in our awareness of our total nothingness that we come face to face with God, end quote. Sometimes I see people, and I, please hear me, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to come across as being judgmental. Lord have mercy. But sometimes I see people that it's like they're just skipped to my loo and down an aisle to repeat some prayer, and, and there's no sense of nothingness within them. They're just marking the salvation thing off their checklist. You've got to come to the end of yourself. You've got to come to a place with the pain of... You're messed up. You've got nothing to offer. You got to come to the place where you realize that even your good stuff, lost person that you have to offer, it's like a filthy rag. Now, when you get saved, those good works or grace produce God glorifying works, and to call them filthy rags would be wrong. But before, if, if you're looking to them as if it's something that makes you okay before God, no, there's no way. No way. No way. None whatsoever. The place where self ends in the sense of what it has to offer God is the place where faith begins. Now you've still got a lifelong process of putting to death self and you're going to struggle with self all the way until you die. But I'm talking about self in the context of coming to God for salvation. It's got to end. It cannot Cannot Apart from spiritual bankruptcy and, and total dependence on Jesus Christ, a person cannot be born again. Jesus makes that quite clear in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax, tax collector. You remember that parable that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 18? Let me read it to you because I don't want to miss any jot and tittle of it. In, in, in Luke 18, beginning in verse 9... It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. What was that? What were they doing? Why was He telling this parable? Because there were some who trusted in who? Themselves. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And they treated others with contempt. Two men, here comes the parable, Jesus says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God... Be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility of spirit equates being poor in spirit. And until a person has been humbled by their loathsome, sickening sinfulness, realizing their hands have nothing to offer God. Until they realize that there's no sense of moral goodness acceptable to God within themselves. then they cannot rightly see their great need of such a great Savior to save them from their great sinfulness. That's, that's important. That's why I, I'm always in trying to tell people to be very careful when you are doing evangelism and you... If you ever begin to, uh, I don't even like to use the phrase, but lead someone to Christ. But when you begin to, to talk with them, listen, especially when you deal with children. Because everybody wants to go to heaven if they're sane. Every, if they really understand what hell is, everybody wants to go to heaven. And so anybody will say, I want to get saved, especially when they're young. And they mean, and they're sincere. But how can they see their need of a Savior until they understand their great sense of sin? And I'm not saying, listen, the Holy Spirit can bring the conviction of sin in a five, six, and seven-year-old, but He doesn't always do that. And so you've got to be careful. See that someone is humbled by their sinfulness. Or they're going to have a lot of years of frustrating mis confusion. So be careful. Be careful. I would close by saying this. The poor in spirit are rich in Jesus Christ. The poor in spirit are rich in Jesus Christ and heirs to the kingdom right now. Right now. And so I would ask you, have you experienced this poverty of spirit? Have you? If not, yours is not the kingdom of heaven. Now you might tremble and say, what? What can I do? What, what can I do? Well, if you understand the message of being poor in spirit, you may be further frustrated by realizing there is nothing you can do. But yet, and this is going to sound paradoxical, it is. Our humanity is the only way we can think about it, really, 
What, 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 do, what must I do, sir, to be saved? See, it's, it seems to be the only way we can, can put our mind to it. So, what can you do? Well, I'll tell you. By grace, you can look to the Jesus of the Word. By grace, look at the demands of the Gospel. By grace, read about the humanly impossible obedience that is required in the Sermon on the Mount. Read about these things. Look at the weighty law of God. Look at it. And when you feel your utterly helpless estate, realizing who then can be saved... I would remind you what is impossible with you is possible with God. I would remind you <laughs> that when you realize that, call out to Christ. Save me. I can't save myself. And I tell you, when you come to that helpless place and you cry out to Christ, there, there's a lot of things going on supernaturally. Repentance is taking place because you are saying, I turn from my self-reliance. I have nothing to offer and I'm turning to you because you're the only one that can save me from myself. And I pray that you would be able to echo the famous words of Augustus M. Toplady. You probably know these words, and I quote, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless I look to thee for grace. Foul I to thy fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. In quote. Grace to you. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed.